graduates, congratulations to each of you. And it's good to see all of you. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, and thanks to those in the chapel, those who are watching with us online. We welcome all of you. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful day. So I, I, you want to you um, really source your notes and your sermon well. So my opening illustration, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, yesterday, I was coming home from an out-of-state wedding. And I stopped at a pilot station in Clarksburg, West Virginia. So this opening illustration goes to Joanne at the clerk at the front desk of the pilot station in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I actually told her that I would be doing this. So I go, to, I go there to get some uh, gas, and I got a drink, and I bought a bag of mixed nuts because my wife was with me, and she doesn't like me to buy Twinkies. <laughs> That's half a joke. Uh, and so I go to the, to the uh, counter with my soft drink and my bag of mixed nuts. And she says, you must be thungry. And I thought she thought I was hip and cool like a gangster, like a thuggery. And I said, I don't know what that means. And she said, you must be thungry. You have purchased a bag of mixed nuts that are part of our thungry program. I'm like, Cool. What does that mean? She goes, it means when you buy this bag of mixed nuts and a drink to go with it, you are hungry. You are thirsty and hungry. And you get another bag free. I said, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm like, totally hungry. And uh, so I learned a new word yesterday from Joanne at the pilot station in Clarksburg. Uh, or Clark's Charleston, Charleston, West Virginia. So, uh, are, you, are you hungry this morning? It's 1130. Uh, Jesus used the analogy of hungry, or as he called it, hungry and thirsty. And he made a very powerful spiritual application that I want to talk about this morning. We are in the Beatitudes. Look at this slide. Uh, if you haven't been here, these are the basic ideas to help us understand the Beatitudes. Those nice little bumper sticker cute little plaque sayings that we've all memorized or we've heard, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Um, that's the, that's, those are the keys to kind of understanding that. Blessed is the joy and contentment that comes from living under the full favor of God. It's genuine happiness. You will genuinely be happy, Jesus says, when you, when you embrace these. These are radical thoughts. These uh, are connected chain. It's a connected chain, not isolated characteristics inside-out principles, and it's all for the glory of God. Jesus was introducing in the Beatitudes his governing principles for his kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand in Mark chapter 2, and he's now introducing these principles and governing ideals that will, will be the way his kingdom is operated. And the crazy thing about Jesus' teaching is it was totally countercultural to the world in which he lived in, and it's countercultural to the world in which we live in. Because the world in which we live in says the stronger are good, the powerful are good, the wealthy are good, the, the smart are good, the attract. And Jesus turns the whole thing upside down and said, the happy ones, the blessed ones, the ones who have the favor of God are the ones who are poor in spirit, who are meek, and so on. And this morning we get to the fourth beatitude, and I want to talk about it. But I want to read the Beatitudes first to put it in context and talk about this matter of being hungry and thirsty 
after righteousness and what that means. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And again, Jesus is radically changing the way the Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews thought. From their political power, their intellectual wisdom, and their religious history, those three groups thought that they had found a way to dominance, and Jesus is giving them a totally radical new idea, a new way of dominance. He says in verse 6 again, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. From beginning to end, Jesus is changing the way they saw the world. In the world in which Jesus was living, if you were persecuted, if you were sick, if you were poor, if you were homeless, if you had some problem, that was because the gods were against you. And Jesus said, when you are persecuted, dance. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So this morning, I want to focus on the fourth beatitude. I call it the transitional beatitude because it's a hinge right in the middle. And it changes from one part of the beatitudes, in my view, to another. In the first three beatitudes, verses 3, 4, and 5, Jesus is talking about the work of God that he's doing inside of us. You must be poor in spirit. You must mourn over your sin. And you must be meek and gentle. You must restrain yourself, not avenge yourself. This is the work of God, the difficult sometimes, often difficult work of God in us. And then in verse 6 he said, Then there are those who will be blessed who from that, from their weeping and from their poverty of spirit and from their gentle and meek spirit that they, as they have come to recognize who they really are, there will come within that person a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then verses 7, 8, 9, we see the expression of that righteousness. They are merciful. They are peacemakers. They are pure. And so we see this outflow of the work of God in our life Prior to verse 6, we see the internal work of God. But verse 6 is an interesting hinge. And I want to begin by asking this question. What are you hungry for this morning? Now, I know Bojangles awaits. Jesus is using a physical illustration for a spiritual reality. But I want us to think, in your heart of hearts, what are you hungry for? The human heart is instinctively hungry. The human heart naturally longs for something. Our problem is that as human beings, our appetite has been marred by sin. And so often this hunger that is instinctive within us, it compels us to search 
And the problem, because our nature has been marred by sin, we turn and we search in all the wrong places. How many know I'm telling the truth this morning? If I can just get another job, I'll be finally satisfied. If I can just get another spouse, nobody say amen there or you are out. If I can just have more money, I got to drink a little bit more. Because I'm having a rough, and if I, can just, if I can just lose myself in a little bit of sensual gratification. If I can just, we try drugs, alcohol, sexuality, every form of physical gratification, sensual gratification, money, career, because our hearts are instinctively hungry. We're hungry. Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jeremiah says it in chapter 2 like this. Speaking for God, Jeremiah says, My people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken sisters, cisterns that can hold no water. And Jesus, or God is saying through Jeremiah, I am the well of water, the life spring of all of life, and the people of God have forsaken this pure, endless well, and they've went and dug themselves an empty hole that is dry. Isn't that a picture of humanity? Oh, I just, I just, want, I just want to be satisfied. And we search in all of these empty holes. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In other words, I've looked everywhere here and there's nothing here that satisfies me. I must need something from somewhere else. And I think C.S. Lewis was onto something powerful The great church leader Augustine said this, Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Jesus in this transitional verse in the Beatitude tells us that the person who will live under the full favor of God is the one who has a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. From the deepest part of our being, he is saying what you really need to be fully satisfied is you need to drink from a righteous well. Let me ask a couple questions this morning to help us understand what he's saying. What does Jesus mean by righteousness? Jesus uses the word righteousness five times in the Sermon on the Mount. What does he mean when he says, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Does he say, blessed are those who want to go to church seven days a week? And all the 10-year-old kids said, Jesus, save us. Is he saying, blessed are the ones who know how to keep the rules, who love rules, and who embrace more rules? The more rules you embrace and love, then you will be blessed. What is he saying? What is Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst? 
after righteousness. He uses it five times. He says in these verses, I'll just give them to you. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In verse 10 through 12, he said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says in a, a little bit later in chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't go to heaven. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be sure that you don't do your righteousness to be seen of men. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What is he saying when he says that you should hunger? What should we be hungering after? Let me, let me give it to you, just a couple thoughts I think that help us understand it. I believe the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is the life that he modeled. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that you guys came to church this morning to learn a theological definition. Everybody want to learn a theological quote this morning? You, that, that, right now I'm, on a, I'm, I'm batting a thousand. I'm sure many people in the chapel raised their hand. But in this room, not a person has raised their hand all day when I said that. But I want to give you a theolo- theological definition and you're gonna see, you can sound very smart when you leave here. What is the theological definition of holiness and righteousness? You ready? You might want to get a pencil out because it's going to be, it takes, it's a long quote. Jesus. What is righteousness? Righteousness is first and foremost the person, the work, the life, the death, the teaching, the burial, the resurrection, the promise, the character, the nature, the miracles of Jesus. He is the righteousness of God revealed to us. And so Jesus, when he says you should hunger and thirst after righteousness, we need to understand that he is the perfect model of what we are to be hungering after. I should be hungering to be like Jesus. How do I respond to people who criticize me? I should hunger and thirst to have the attitude and the behavior and the words of Jesus. Let me go ahead and say this right now because it needs to be said What you're going to find as we walk through this this morning is that Jesus is setting a ridiculously high standard. He says, I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's not saying, I want you to learn a few more laws from the Old Testament. He's not saying, I want you to go to church a couple more times a month. He's not saying, I want you to embrace a couple rules that you can have in your life. He is saying, I am the model and the standard of righteousness, and you need to hunger and thirst to be pure and holy as I am. How many of you agree that's a ridiculously high standard? Amen. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. In the Old Testament, Isaiah said, the righteous servant shall make many righteous. Pilate is, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and you know the story. Jesus is standing there before Pilate, and Pilate's wife walks up to Pilate. What does he say to him? What does she say to him? She said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, the centurion, after it's all over, the centurion stands there and looks at him and says, surely this was a righteous man. Stephen, as he is preparing to be stoned in the book of Acts, he is preaching about Jesus. And he says to those people, Jesus is the righteous one that you have betrayed and murdered. Ananias says, Paul, we know that the Lord has revealed it, that that you will see And you will experience, you will know the righteous one. 
Peter says in 1 Peter, Christ died for the sins once for all. He is the righteous who died for the unrighteous. And John says, I I beseech you that you do not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So if you want to know what righteousness is, the theological definition of righteousness and holiness is Jesus. Amen? And so I I have to now begin to... Take, a, take down my view that I, I need to go to church more often, which you, it's a great idea. I pastor one, and we got multiple services to help you, okay? And we think you ought to go to church. But when we're talking about righteous, we're not talking about religious behavior. We're talking about moral character like Christ. Are you with me this morning? Jesus is our model. Righteousness, secondly, is an inner condition. It's interesting how Jesus describes righteousness. He says in these verses, in this sermon, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't go to heaven. Okay, what does that mean, Jesus? And here's essentially what it means, and then I'll show it to you. It means this. Your righteousness must be genuine, and it must be in your heart, not just in your behavior. And here's how he describes it. In in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 48, he gives several examples. He said, this is what the Pharisees say. The Pharisees say you can't kill someone. I say you can't hate them in your heart. The Pharisee will, praise God, I'm righteous. I didn't kill anyone today. I hated about 20 people and wanted to punch them in the face, but I didn't kill anyone. Jesus said, no, no, I've raised the standard now. This is an righteous, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is not just an outward behavior. It's an inner condition of the heart. I mean, he raises the, I told you this was a ridiculously high standard, right? He says in verse 27 through 30, the, the Old Testament says, the Pharisee says, you cannot commit adultery. I'm telling you, you don't even look upon a woman to lust after her. In verse 31 through 32, he said, the Old Testament has these rules for divorce and these exceptions for divorce. I'm telling you another standard. In verse 33 through 37, he said, the Old Testament says, you, you, only, you, you should not only keep your oath, rather I say, you should not only keep your oath, but you should be the kind of person who doesn't even have to swear for people to believe you. Because the Old Testament had all these cute little rules. You swear this way, you swear that way, and if you swear this way, you have to really tell the truth, but if you don't swear that way, you're not really telling the truth. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be the kind of person from the character on the inside that your word is true, whether you swear or not. You see what he is doing? He says, he, and he, right, right prior to this, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't even go to heaven. What was, their righteousness was all external. All external. They had all these rules. They had this rule. They created this rule that you could only walk so many door paces from your, from your, uh, paces from your door threshold on the, on the Sabbath day. And you know what they would do? They would take wherever they wanted to go on the Sabbath, they would move their threshold close enough that they could walk that many paces from their threshold. Give me a break. See, it was what Jesus actually, he said their their righteousness is all external. But he said your righteousness must be internal. They say don't murder, I say don't hate. They say don't commit adultery, I say don't lust after a woman. They say an eye for an eye, I say let them slap your other cheek what he says in these verses now I know some days for me I'd rather be a little more Old Testament you know some days a little more Old Testament and some days a little more New Testament you know Uh, how many come on don't look at me like that you know one day you want to be an eye for you just run me off the road boom you're out of here that was the Old Testament 
And Jesus said, the Old Testament says an eye for an eye, but I say, if a man smites you on the, on, the, on the right cheek, turn your cheek and let him smite you on the other cheek. Jesus said, I'm going to raise the standard. As a matter of fact, it says love your neighbor in the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you to love your enemy. All of a sudden, Jesus is describing for us what righteousness is all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And righteousness is Christ is the standard. Righteousness, he's talking about, is an inner condition of the heart. Can I just pause for a moment and thank God that Christ can do a work in our heart that sets us free from being a slave to sin. This is such good news. Righteousness, thirdly, is an outward expression. It is a lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians and invites opposition from the world. Immediately after verse 6, Jesus says, the expression of righteousness, blessed are the merciful, that's an action. Blessed are the pure in heart, that's a motive in who we are in our character. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that those are actions. And then he said, blessed are you when men revile you or persecute you for righteousness' sake. In other words, the righteousness that is in our heart comes out and is a behavior. And the world which stands in opposition against Christ and the gospel persecutes us because we are standing for truth and purity and righteousness and we're living it out. And the centuries are littered with the blood of men and women who have been martyred and persecuted for the cause of Christ. Can I just throw this in for free? Make sure when we're being persecuted, we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sometimes Troy gets persecuted because Troy's an idiot. Amen? And then I like to say, God, they're persecuting me. He's like, you're on your own, boy. All right? A lot of Christians, we like to put a lot of tags on God when it's our foolishness, right? But he said, when you are reviled and persecuted for righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the purity and character and kindness and holiness and truth and justice like Jesus. And when you're persecuted for that, blessed are you. Righteousness is an outward expression. And righteousness is a God-centered life. Jesus said in chapter uh, 5 and 6, do not do your righteousness, chapter 6, verse 1, do not do your righteousness before men or to be seen of men. In other words, the righteous heart says, I'm living my life to please God. The Old Testament says the fear of man brings a snare. We have done a ton of, a, we, we've got PhDs in the church world of trying to set up standards and then we measure each other by them and I live my life based on what you think about me. We got really good at that in the church world. And you know what Jesus is saying? I want you to pray, I want you to give, I want you to fast, but I want you to do it in a way that you're not doing it to be seen of men. You're serving God. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be honest, but he wants us to do it not for the praise and the glory of men, but for the praise and the honor and the glory of God. And then he says, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His right, seeking his righteousness means letting his word set the standard for our life. It means seeking to do that which is pleasing to him. So that raises a question. That's a ridiculously high standard. How does a person become hungry for righteousness? Let's just be honest this morning and don't feel bad. It was this quiet in the other services also. And I'm not nervous a lick, all right? How does a person, let's just have this conversation. If my heart really loves evil, if your heart really loves evil, if you really actually love sin, how do you change your heart 
so that you are truly hungry to be pure and holy. How do you do that? That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic question. We stated each week, and I said a few moments ago, that the, this is a, these Beatitudes are a connected chain, not isolated characteristics. And no characteristic, no Beatitude is more dependent upon the ones prior to it than this one. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, no Beatitude is more dependent upon the ones that came before it than this one. Because I can't be hungry for righteousness if I haven't been poor in my spirit, if I haven't mourned over my sin, if I haven't held myself back and restrained myself and said, oh God, I really need you. It's only when I see myself as God sees me that I can begin to hunger for that which is pure and right and holy. My wife is here this morning, thank God. She's awesome. She's out here. If you don't know it, she's the one that does the coffee out there. Uh, one of them. But she's, she's awesome. She likes to talk to people. That's a great job. But my wife, um, I, I joked about it a while ago, uh, about the, the, the peanuts and the ho-hos or the Twinkies. Uh, my wife puts me to shame and has for decades when it comes to eating and exercising. And, and she's probably going to kill me for saying this, but it's okay. I'm the resurrection, the life. Jesus said, I'll come back to life. She gets up at 5.30, three days a week, goes to Y, works on the elliptical for a mile and a half, and then exercises for an hour and a half, and then comes home and eats diet water and a half a piece of lettuce. It's, it's, it's miserable. And for years, and I have, I, I have genetics that allow me to eat a little looser-goosser and, and, and not blow up, okay? And that's not because I'm this great athletic exerciser. It's because my genetics are that way. And, and for years, I mean, she's just been much more diligent with her diet and her exercise. And, 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 I, and recently, I'm learning that my metabolism takes a break every now and then and goes on vacation. <laughs> the older I get, you know, I know, what, I know what people are talking about. And how many of you are with me on this, all right? How many think this is an awkward conversation? <laughs> but here's, here's one thing I've learned from my wife. And she, she, I do exercise and, and I do eat peanuts when she's in the car. I've learned that you can't enjoy a healthy diet until your body has been cleansed of all the crud you've been putting in it. And the blessing of being healthy and feeling good and having energy is way better than the joy of a jelly donut at midnight. It's close, but it is better. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You with me? And here's, here's my point that you cannot experience true hunger for God until you've gone through verses 3, verses 4, and verse 5. You see, what really motivates us to eat healthier? You want to know what makes you hate bad food and love healthy food? Looking in the mirror. Come on now, right? I don't ever want to see a piece of sugar ever again. Because we find ourselves in the mirror weeping and mourning and being poor and broken in spirit and meek and gentle and mild about our appearance. And we realize, I've got to do something. And, and, and that's a very simple physical illustration. Thank you, darling, for indulging me this morning without your permission. 
But Jesus is saying something here. He says, you, see, you want to know how to be hungry? You have to see yourself as God sees you. And when you see yourself by the help of God and through the grace of God, as God sees you, you begin to go poor in spirit. And when you are poor in spirit, you begin to mourn over your sin and your wickedness. And when you begin to mourn over your wickedness, you begin to control and restrain yourself in a meek and gentle way and say, I, I, I'm not going to fight for my own way anymore. And then you begin to find out, you know what? I've, I've emptied myself of all the wickedness and I'm beginning to find in my heart a hunger for God and truth and righteousness. Can I testify to you this morning? There was a time in my life that I loved sin. I loved rebellion. I loved doing my own thing. And I'm not that way today. Not because I went to seminary or because I had, just because I had a nice family or just because I've had things happen to my life. I'm that way because the grace of God got a hold of Troy Keaton's rebellious heart and turned it around. I didn't, I, my mom and dad are here and they're, they're saints and I love them but they know this I was, we went to church 44 times a week sometimes when I was a kid and I remember as a kid when I grow up I ain't going to church I'm in church more now on Sunday morning than I ever was as a kid thanks a lot dad <laughs> and I love it because God has given me an appetite for the things of God. I love to study his word. I love to preach his word. I'm not boasting. I'm just boasting in the glory and the goodness of God who can change our appetite from the inside when we see ourselves as we really are. We are poor in spirit. And then he, he doesn't leave us hungry. He says, now won't you start hungering for that which you really need. And we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he satisfies. Amen. Let me, let me quickly just, <laughs> forget about these. I've kind of already preached them, so let me just quickly say them. The stages of our relationship with righteousness. Here they are. We have an absence of righteousness in our life. We are born naturally sinful with a heart that is turned against God. Then there comes an abandonment of all that which is unholy in our life. Verses 3 through 5. It's a recognition of our own poverty of spirit, the mourning over our own unrighteousness, which leads to a quiet and meek perspective. And then we begin to have an awareness of our need for righteousness. And this hunger and thirst, I want to be like Jesus, begins to take place in our life. And then there's the appearance of righteousness in our life. We see mercy and purity and peace. And then there's the antagonism towards righteousness that comes in our life because the world stands against all that is true and righteous and holy. And Jesus Christ said, if you are my followers, you are not above your master. If I was persecuted, you will be persecuted. And there's an antagonism towards holiness in this world. How many of you know that this morning? That's our relationship. So, let me ask this question as we close. Let me say this. Hunger for righteousness is the work of God's grace. It's the work of God's grace in cooperation with my faith and repentance that creates within me a desire to be holy and pure. It's the work of God's grace. It's cooperating with my faith and my, my repentance saying, Lord, I'm sorry. And then God gives us a hunger and then he gives us a hunger that he satisfies. Isn't that cool? So how does Jesus satisfy us with this hunger? First of all, let me just say the word satisfy is a conjunction. It's actually a phrase. Will definitely, certainly be satisfied. It's a long, long Greek word to fill 
or fatten, that's not a good word after the analogy I just used, to satisfy, but with the conjunction, will be for sure and most certainly satisfied. Jesus, Jesus said, not Pastor Troy, not some dude on TV, Jesus said, if you are hungry and thirsty for purity and righteousness from the inside out, you will totally be satisfied. I will ensure it. I will make sure that you are satisfied. So how does he satisfy us? Jesus satisfies us by his own appearance. When he appeared, the human race laid eyes upon the perfect depiction of what our hearts truly long for. When you look at Jesus, that is everything we've ever longed for is Christ. He satisfies us by his own appearance. Secondly, he satisfies us by his work on the cross of cleansing and forgiving us of our sin. You know that if you're you're a Christian this morning, and if you're not, we all know the sense of guilt and shame and regret and the burden of sin that we carry on our own. And Jesus says, I died and I paid the price. And by the power of my resurrection, if you'll trust in me, your sins will be gone as far as the east is from the west. And in doing so, he's keeping his promise to satisfy us with righteousness and holiness. And then thirdly, Jesus satisfies our hunger for righteousness by giving us his Holy Spirit to dwell within our heart. John 14, 15, Jesus touches on two key issues in the life of the believer. This is what he said. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments so he's talking about love and obedience if you love me and you know what if you take that verse all by itself it's a pretty daunting task Jesus is saying if you love me obey me and I can just almost hear it in the disciples voices saying but Jesus but Jesus Peter might have said Jesus don't you understand that when you're out of my presence I'm weak he hadn't done it yet but he was getting ready to deny him and betray Jesus and perhaps in Jesus and Peter's heart he struck fear if you if I love you Lord but I don't know how to keep your commandments and Jesus went on to give him this promise if you love me keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him Jesus is saying You guys know who this is. For he dwells with you. Hint, hint. But he will be in you. Peter had no problem being holy and pure as long as Jesus was right there. You know, Peter was just that kind of guy. As long as, and I imagine if Jesus showed up in physical form and walked around with us and went to work with us and sat at our dinner table, we'd never argue with our wife either, would we? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if Jesus is literally physically sitting there, you're going to behave yourself. That's what Peter did. Jesus said, Peter, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to send you a comforter. And and the world doesn't know him, nor, nor can they see him. But you know him. He's with you. But pretty soon, he's going to be in you. Peter denied Jesus, and, and I hear a lot of theologies that stop right there. Well, Peter denied Jesus. He cursed. He denied him. I'm no better than Peter. No, 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 no. Flip the page. 
flip the page from the Gospel of John to the book of Acts. And what you'll find is Peter never denying Jesus ever, ever again. Because of why? Because the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in his life. And Jesus has given us the powerful, wonderful Holy Spirit. You hear that? Holy Spirit. And Jesus went on to say in John 14 and 15 and said, He's the Holy Spirit's going to guide you. And he's going to instruct you. And he's going to convict you. And he's going to show you how to live a righteous life. And he's going to give you power how to live a righteous life. And he's going to give you a hunger to, for more of, more of righteousness and holiness. It is the gift of God, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that Jesus is satisfying our hunger. I got good news for you. Jesus never promises anything that he doesn't deliver on. He never promises anything that he doesn't deliver on. And I'm sorry, we don't have another service. I got all day. I'm wrapping up, I promise. When that's happening, you're wrapping up. You know what I'm saying? But I just believe this morning in the chapel, those online, perhaps here, you'd like to, with me, just say, Lord, would you create a hunger within me? Maybe you came in here, you have no desire whatsoever for God. By the grace of God, your heart can be changed and transformed in a moment if you'll trust him. If you'll trust him. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You say, oh God, would you, would you come into my life? And I, I have all the desires for all the wrong things. And Lord, would you begin to work in me and transform me to, to seek after you? Maybe you're a believer this morning. And the reality is you've got some stuff in your life that is displeasing to God. And you bought that bumper sticker theology that says, I ain't perfect, I'm just forgiven. Whoop diddly do. Well, I got news for you. I don't believe in a theology that believes that God's the only one in the dark. What do you, what do you mean by that, Pastor Trey? Well, God doesn't see me like, like I really am. I'm evil and wicked and vile, but he looks through the blood of Jesus. There is a truth to that. But God is not the only one. Your neighbor's not fooled. Your wife's not fooled. The person at the red light wasn't fooled. They know you're not holy and just. And God somehow doesn't know that? I got good news for you. We're not absolutely perfect. That's a fact. But the reality is God can change our attitude, our heart, our behavior, and our desires from the inside out. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, we need you this morning. Oh, God, we need you this morning. Would you give us a hunger? Would you give us a hunger? Hunger for you, Lord, I pray. Would you intensify, intensify our hunger for you? Oh, sometimes, Lord, we're not, we're, we have no appetite for you because we're eating on everything else. We're feeding our souls on everything else, and therefore we never have an appetite for you. Oh, God, may we go on a spiritual diet where we start abandoning those things in our life by your grace that are keeping us from feasting and hungering after you. I love you. I praise you. I wonder how many this morning would say, Pastor Troy, the Lord has spoken to me this morning. And he, I, am, I am asking him right now to intensify hunger for him in my life. Would you just raise your hand with our heads bowed? And our, the Lord has spoken to me this morning. Thank you. God bless you. So, Lord, you see these hearts. You see these individuals. You know them, oh, God. And you never make a promise that you don't deliver on. And so I'm asking you, oh God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of your, your, uh, the cross, oh God, to, to minister to these hearts. Satisfy them, oh God, we pray. Lord, I don't know. I just, I'm praying right now. Maybe there's a man here or a woman here that's addicted to pornography and the devil has told them, you can't get away from this. They have this insatiable desire for that which is immoral. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that it be broken 
and that they would have a hunger for that which is pure and righteous. Lord, I don't know what's going on in our lives, but would you give us and intensify our hunger for you, we pray, and then would you satisfy us with yourself and your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.